Welcome to the Resilient Mindset Podcast, an exciting new podcast by Resilience Queen, Justine Martin. Justine is the owner and founder of the Resilient Mindset, a division of the Justine Martin Corporation. Justine draws on her years of experience and knowledge, consulting with clients to develop and sustain a positive mindset. Focused on igniting your passion, purpose and power, follow the Resilience Queen each week as she delves into the mind of her guests, exploring fascinating stories and inspiring journeys. Hello and welcome to Resilience Mindset. I'm Justine Martin and I will be your host. I'm known as the Queen of Resilience. This episode, I'm going to talk to you about my journey of overcoming uh, all the adversities that I've faced and what makes me uh, known to everyone as, as that Queen of Resilience. So my journey started, uh, as most do, right back when we're children. And my mum was diagnosed with uh, breast cancer when I was uh, around about three, three and a half years of age. She was 27. My brother and I went to uh, live with my grandparents for a period of time, which was uh, I think up to around about uh, four months. And they lived in New South Wales. They were in Sydney and we lived in Victoria. So it was very challenging for us as young children to be away from our parents for such a long period of time. Mum then recovered enough to look after us and we went back uh, to live with mum and dad and unfortunately their marriage broke down and from there um, mum became uh, a single parent and we got used to living without dad around. It was about that time when mum became very ill and my grandparents came down from Sydney and uh, put her on a plane and she went up to... Sydney Hospital, where she was diagnosed uh, with multiple sclerosis at the age of 33. So my brother and I, again, uh, were living with my grandparents and it was a testing time. They tried the best that they could with the, you know, the abilities and the resources they, that they had. Uh, we were with them for around about 12 months uh, mum became well enough to look after us again and she got a job in northern New South Wales in a little mining town called Emmerville and she went up there to work for three months and again my grandparents stepped up and my brother and I continued to stay uh, with them. Uh, so my nana became my second mum and I had a fantastic rapport with her. Then um, we moved up to Glen Innes, uh which is close to Emmerville, and uh, we were only supposed to be there for 12 months and we ended up leaving. Well, I left 23 years later and my brother still actually lives there. Um, I then, uh, when I was up in Glen Innes, um, I was my mum's carer for a long period of time and until it got too much and I had to put her into a nursing home. Uh, all in the MS home in Sydney and unfortunately she passed away some uh, four years later from complications from MS. So we were always told that we would never get MS, that MS is not hereditary. Um, then I became quite ill at the age of 39 and had to go see a neurologist and I asked the neurologist if it was... Uh, MS and I was told no it wasn't 
and I had lots of brain scans and MRIs and I had all these white spots in my brain and there were certain functions that I couldn't do anymore like count properly, um, multitask, I was exhausted all the time, I had such bad fatigue and it was making work very, very difficult. Anyway, then in March 2011, I was diagnosed with MS and my world crashed. Uh, within about four weeks of being diagnosed, um, I was told I'd never be able to work again. Now, I've always had a very strong worth ethic and to be told that you can't contribute by paying taxes and that into society was absolutely devastating for me. Uh, how could I have a disease that my mother died from complications from? How could it have happened to me? Why was it me? Well, why not me? What made me so different to everyone else? Absolutely nothing at all. So I went from a high-paying job to absolutely nothing overnight. I was engaged at the time um, to a man that uh, lived uh, away. He, well, he worked away. He lived away. Uh, he was a FIFO worker in the mines and was home a limited amount of time. And we made the decision, we were living in Perth at the time, to move back uh, to uh, Victoria where my family were. And we're over here around about 11 months and he turned around and told me that me having MS would affect his goals and dreams in life and that he was leaving me. And I hit rock bottom again, thinking, you know, who's ever going to want me? Um, again, why me? What did I do to deserve this? Um, and had a good hard look at my life because when a relationship breaks down there's always faults on both sides and I wasn't blameless in it as well I wasn't doing anything to help myself and so that was a big wake-up call then then in 2013 um, I noticed something wrong with my heart and I went to the doctors and it turned out that I had um, AF so atrial um, fibrillation. So my resting heart rate was around about 155 beats a minute, which, you know, a lot of people actually get and it can be controlled with beta blockers, but unfortunately a lot of medication doesn't work on me and uh, they couldn't control it. So I ended up having to have um, the first pulmonary vein ablation in 2013 where they uh, burn the inside of the pulmonary vein, they punch a hole into your heart and burn the inside of it and then they spot welder around the outside and I was told that if it didn't come back in 12 weeks I would be good to go. Uh, I was competing in Olympic weightlifting, I'm a Masters, well I was a Masters um, Olympic weightlifting uh, competitor and it came back and it came back with vengeance at 214 beats a minute and the world was looking pretty bleak. Uh, got rushed into emergency by ambulance and was told that the first operation had been a failure and that I would need uh, another one. So then in 2014, um, February 2014, I went and had my second pulmonary vein ablation and hemorrhaged after both those operations, but um, uh, I was good. I was feeling all right. And then I noticed that it felt like my heart was skipping a beat 
and it wasn't as if there was a cute guy standing in front of me. Um, it was missing beats quite often. And I went back to my cardiologist and and he said, you know, we've been in there, we've messed around with it a couple of times. It'll settle down. Well, it didn't settle down. It continued to get worse. And uh, 12, 18 months later, I was back on the operating table having a front wall ablation. Now, the average person misses about 25 beats in a 24-hour period in their heart, and here I was um, missing one in every five beats. Unfortunately, after that, I got pericarditis, which is inflammation of the heart lining, and I was extremely ill, and they called in all the family, and uh, that was a scary time. But I fully recovered from that, uh, which was great. And while this was all happening, when I, I'm going to skip back a little bit here. When I was diagnosed with EMS, my neurologist said to me, you better find a hobby. You're going to have a lot of time on your hands. Um, and you won't know what to do with yourself. So I'd always wanted to learn how to paint, and I thought, well, I'll go to an art studio. Now, I had a girlfriend in Perth that actually owned an art studio, and that was okay. I thought, all right, I'll be able to walk in. It'll be fine. No. For three months, I'd drive there every week, and I'd park outside, and I could not walk in. My anxiety was through the roof. My world was crumbling and I just couldn't walk in that bloody door. Anyway, um, there was one particular day I'd sat outside. I was sick of driving home in tears. I was so angry um, at myself and I thought, well, just go inside. What's the worst that can happen? So I plucked up enough courage and I walked inside that door and I found a whole new world. I um, started creating artwork. I took to it like a duck to water, and it turned out I was pretty good. I'm um, a natural at creating a lot of um, paintings and drawings. So that gave me something to fill up my days with, learning how to paint, learning how to draw. And then when we moved over here, um, in December 2011. Uh, the following year, I joined an MS art painting group and I joined a community college just to get some socialization, to learn more about painting and, and drawing, um, but also for the social aspect of it. I've gone from, you know, being very, very social to, to seeing no one. I dropped my daughter off at school and I'd wait for her and go back and pick her up. and you know, quite often she was the only person that I saw for days. So it was really good for my mindset to push myself uh, to go to these classes and to meet other people. One class I was the youngest by about 25 years, I think, but that didn't matter because I was still there and I was still communicating with people. Um, so we'd been here about four months. And I entered the Drysdale Easter Art Show with one of my paintings and it sold. And that was a pivotal uh, moment for me. It's like, oh, my God, you know, someone thinks an enough of my artwork that they could actually hang it on their wall and that they would, you know, pass with their uh, hard-earned money. And then I thought, I can still contribute to society. I am contributing with art and culture and also I could build a business from this. 
So in my previous life, as I call it, I've had lots of different careers. I've owned uh, my own fashion boutique. I've done every multi-level marketing business that there is on the planet. But they all taught me how to self-promote, um, how to self-market yourself, how to um, make money with not much cash flow behind you. So um, when it came to my art business, it was like, okay, well, I'm going to register a business, which Just Art was registered, and um, I'm going to start selling some things, selling some paintings, selling some sculptures, and I did. And then I was very blessed to be handed the wall space in a very large cafe in Drysdale, Victoria, Australia, and um, I still run the art space, or the wall space in there with my art, and it's known as Just Art Gallery. And it's just exploded from there. Um, my artwork during commissions. I'm now a multi-award winning artist. I've entered so many exhibitions and art competitions uh, that I've won and I've been very, very blessed uh, from that. And things were going really, really well. I bought a new home. But the day that I got the keys to my house was the day that I found out that I could potentially have cancer. So everything came to a big grinding halt to all my all my dreams and, and everything that I wanted to achieve was like, how was, how was I going to do this? So I was competing in Tasmania in 2016 for the Masters, Australian Masters Weightlifting Championships. And I noticed that I was going a little bit purple on my hands and they were quite painful. And when I came back from Tassie, I went to my doctor and said, well, asked her, um, you know, what's, what's this? And she said, look, it's nothing to worry about. Come back in four months if it's still happening. Now, I regularly see a counsellor. Um, I don't believe it's um, my children's responsibility or my friend's responsibility to hear my woes and vents. They have enough going on in their own lives. And, you know, some things I, I just don't want them to hear. So I was seeing my counsellor and told her and showed her the photos that I'd taken of my hands. And um, she asked me if I was happy uh, with what the doctor had said. And I'm like, well, no, I'm not actually. She said, well, I suggest that you go and find a second opinion. And I did. And my neurologist started me on blood work and, and everything as well. And um, then booked me into a rheumatologist. So he thought I had a thing called Levidio reticularis. And sent me off to the rheumatologist and then I was booked into a dermatologist and a haematologist all within about a four to six week window from each other. So I went off to the rheumatologist and he looked and said, well, it's nothing connective tissue related. So what can cause libido is rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, um, or lymphoma. So he ruled out the lupus and the uh, rheumatoid arthritis. Now, when you've got MS, you tend to forget that other things can go wrong as well because MS is such a big thing to handle that we forget that our body can actually crash and burn um, uh, from other things. So I walked out of there going, okay, I don't have lupus and I don't have rheumatoid arthritis, but oh, my God, does that mean that I've got lymphoma? So he suggested that I go to the dermatologist to confirm it and I was booked in anyway. So off I went about 10 days later. And she took one look at my feet. So by the time I got into see everyone and, and that, it was 
around about September. Um, so they are taken from June through to September to actually get appointments with medical professionals. Nothing ever happens fast. And um, when I first had the video, it was happening at about 12 degrees or less. It had gone up to around about 19 degrees and was no longer just affecting my hands and my feet, but my nose would go black, my chin, my neck was all black and my ears were, were very dark black when the room temperature or air temperature was 19 degrees or less, which made it extremely difficult to walk outside in Victoria with how cold our winters were and having to have the heater on all the time. So Lavidio is the small blood vessels under the surface of the skin and they clot. And if you don't warm up that part of the body, it can cause necrosis and the, the tissues will actually die. Uh, so it's very scary. And um, so I'm at the dermatologist and she looked at my feet and she said, well, I don't need to do a biopsy. It's definitely uh, Lavidio. And then the world just started spinning for me, thinking, oh, God, you know, I've got lymphoma. And she said, oh, when was the last time you had a skin check done? And my former GP had done one a couple of years earlier and I explained that to her. She said, oh, we're here now and you've got your gear off. Let's, you know, do a mole map and, and have a look. And I'm like, okay, fine. Not expecting anything. Anyway, there was two spots on my face and she said, I think we'll burn those off. And there was a little mole on my lower right leg and she didn't like the look of it. She said, oh, well, we'll just do a biopsy with that. Okay, no worries, wasn't worried about it. And um, she said that the results would be back in the next 10 days, not to worry, it'll all be good. All right, and I didn't worry. Not even 24 hours later, I got a phone call and I was standing in the middle of a shopping centre when the nurse rang and uh, she rang and said, you've got melanoma. And I'm like, I fucking got what? She goes, oh, you've got melanoma. I said, no, 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 no. Here I am telling the nurse, no, 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 I don't have melanoma. I'm supposed to have lymphoma, not melanoma. She goes, oh, no, I'm sorry, you have, and you're going to have to come back in and have more of your leg uh, cut out and contained. And I was just in shock. Um, oh, my God, here I was standing in a shopping centre and someone had just told me that I had cancer. So I went straight back down to my GP and got in with him and said, well, is this why I'm going purple? Is this the reason for the video? And he's like, explain to me, no, Justine, that's an entirely separate issue. And he said that's got more to do with the MS and my immune system being so weak. That's what would bring out the melanoma. And I'm like, are you serious? So then a week later I had to go back in and have big chunks of my leg cut out and they contained it all, which was really good. But that still wasn't solving the problem of the Lavidio. Um, I'd started to lose the ability to breathe properly and I had big lumps coming out of my joints in my fingers and I couldn't bend my toes. So something was definitely happening. So I went off to the um, haematologist and she did repeat bloods and um, said, oh, we'll have to do a bone marrow biopsy. I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to Bali in four weeks, three, four weeks. And she goes, well, we'll do it when you come back. 
I'm like, okay, no worries. I'm still going to be able to go, right? She goes, yeah, yeah, you'll be able to go. Anyway, uh, I didn't go to Barbie. I had a bone marrow biopsy, a PET scan, a CAT scan two days before Bali. And um, if anyone's ever seen or knows what a bone marrow biopsy is, they drill into the back of your pelvis and snap a bit of bone off. So there was no way that my um, auntie, who is like my surrogate mother, uh, was going to even let me travel. She's like, there's no way you're going to a uh, third world country with a hole um, straight to your bone and you'll end up with a major infection and die. And she was probably right. Well, she was right. Um, uh, so I couldn't go. And then the results came back from that that I indeed had um, lymphoma, but they couldn't tell me what type they'd have to send it off for more testing. I didn't realise that there's about 40 different lymphomas, um, if not more, and trying to work out which one it was for the correct treatment. And then my lungs were, were getting worse and um, I was very ill and I was then diagnosed with mixed cryoglobulinemia in the December that year. I had too many cryoglobulins in my blood, which is a protein, and that was what was causing the video was too much protein. Uh, so things were looking, yeah, not very good at all. And then in the January 2017, I was diagnosed with chronic lymphocystic leukemia and small lymphocystic lymphoma. So I had three primary cancers at once and two blood conditions. And the mixed cryoglobulinemia was uh, choking off all my internal organs with inflammation and I was dying. Uh, I was stage four by the time they, they fully diagnosed me uh, with everything and I then had to start chemo. So nothing ever goes smoothly with me and I started um, oh, on chemo, had allergic reactions to it and I was in for a really bumpy ride and that was in 2017. I also started another um, uh, on another course of medication which is uh, an immunosuppressant called rituximab and I did that for, for two years. I'm in full remission from all the cancers, uh, thank goodness, and the Lovidio and uh, the mixed cryoglobulinemia. During that period of time when I was coming out of it, um, you know, my blood work was getting better and I could actually look for a future. I decided that I wanted to teach and I wanted to teach other disabled people. So I set up what's called Just Art Wellness Classes, and three days a week I teach um, art wellness to other people who are disabled, and it's such a rewarding um, job. When I got through um, the cancer treatment, um, my immune system is absolutely cactus. I have no B cells, no T cells. I'm borderline neutropenic and I'm uh, lymphopenic all the time. So I have to be really careful of, not being around anyone that has some form of um, contagious infection, um, a common cold, COVID, um, all of that. So I started Just Art and, you know, built the art wellness classes and then everyone kept saying to me, what's your secret? How come you're so positive? How do you get through all these adversities? And... Uh, what you know most people would crumble with what you've gone through 
So I had to, I didn't know the secret, baby. I didn't know. I, I was just doing me. I had to sit down and, and go through everything that I do on a daily basis, physically and mentally, um, to find out what makes me me and what is the secret to it all. And I have broken all that down and, and worked out what it is. And now I'm a resilience consultant and I help other people get through their adversities. And I'm a keynote speaker and I've just become um, a published author and have just also written and illustrated my first children's book, which is called Same, Same But Different, and that will be published uh, this year when I start my own publishing house called JMC Publishing. I also have another business which is called Van Gogh Decals, and that's my artwork on large decals for caravans and camper vans and mobility scooters and wherever you want to put them, you can put them on your car, on your house windows, uh, absolutely everywhere. So going back 11 years ago, someone told me that I couldn't work ever again. And if I'd listened to that person on what that was their belief, um, I wouldn't be here today. I wouldn't be doing this podcast. I wouldn't be writing books. I wouldn't be painting. I wouldn't be helping other people. I'd be sitting in my little four walls. My home had become my sanctuary, but it had also become my jail. Um, I looked and wanted a brighter future. It wasn't going to be the same as what I'd already lived. My body was different. My life would be different. And I had to modify in order to make that happen. So here I am now doing podcasts uh, with the Resilience Mindset podcast. And I will be interviewing other people that have uh, faced adversities, whether it's in business, whether it's in their own personal lives, and um, seeing what their secrets are.